0: Hey everyone, this is Dan and welcome to the Rapid Boards Review Podcast. This is episode 35 of the podcast, and episode 2 of our High Yield Oncogenic Microbe series. In this series, we cover the associations between particular microbes and particular types of cancer that you need to know for the Step 1 examination, and then we make sure to cover any peripherally related concepts to either the microbe or the cancer that are high yield for the exam as well. So thank you so much for listening, and I really hope you find this content useful. Alright, first question of the episode, what cancer do hepatitis B virus and hepatitis C virus cause? So the answer there is hepatocellular carcinoma. Now what tumor marker is hepatocellular carcinoma associated with? So the tumor marker in the blood would be alpha-fetoprotein, sometimes shortened to just AFP. Now what perineoplastic syndrome can occur with hepatocellular carcinoma? So it's associated with polyphysemia vera, uh, which is essentially increased red blood cells, and that's because hepatocellular carcinoma can produce erythropoietin. What carcinogen, and as a hint it's from a fungus, can actually lead to hepatocellular carcinoma rarely? So, that would be aflatoxins. And um, do you know what fungus aflatoxins are from? Good, aflatoxins are from Aspergillus. I always remember that because both of them start with A. And in what scenario can you get exposed to aflatoxins? So, you can get exposed to them from stored grains and nuts. And this would be the thing in the question stand that you'd be looking for. All right, next question. Uh, What microbe can cause Kaposi's sarcoma? So that would be HHV-8. Um, And Kaposi's sarcoma is the malignancy of what type of cell? So Kaposi's sarcoma is a malignancy of endothelial cells. Remember, endothelial cells are the cells that make up the capillaries. Now, it's classically seen in three demographics. Now, what are those three demographics that you would look for in a question stem to be associated with Kaposi's sarcoma? So the first would be older Eastern European males, the second would be AIDS patients, and the third would be organ transplant patients. Just to say that again, because it is particularly high yield, Uh, Remember Kaposi's sarcoma, in a question stand, there's three demographics that are related to it. Older Eastern European males, AIDS patients, and organ transplant patients. Now Kaposi's sarcoma can classically be mistaken for what other uh, skin condition? So that would be bacillary angiomatosis. And what histology finding can really differentiate bacillary angiomatosis from Kaposi's sarcoma? So Kaposi's sarcoma has a lymphocytic infiltrate on histology, whereas bacillary angiomatosis has a neutrophilic infiltrate. And that's the key differentiating factor on histology between the two. Now, what causes bacillary angiomatosis? So it's classically caused by a Bartonella infection. And uh, as a follow-up question, is bacillary angiomatosis a benign or malignant condition? So bacillare angiomatosis is a benign condition. So really when you're testing these, uh, you're going to be looking for the differentiating between Kaposi and uh, basilar angiomatosis. Now Kaposi, remember, is a lymphocytic infiltrate and it's malignant. Uh, layer angiomatosis is a neutrophilic infiltrate and it's benign. Alright, next question. What microbe can cause gastric adenocarcinoma? So the answer there would be H. pylori now uh, when you get an H. pylori infection the treatment is something that is commonly tested so what is the classic treatment for an H. pylori infection? So the classic treatment is called triple therapy and as the name suggests it's three drugs the first one is amoxicillin the second one is clarithromycin which remember is a macrolide and the third one is a proton pump inhibitor now Um, If you have an amoxicillin allergy, so that would be like a penicillin allergy, because remember amoxicillin is kind of like a subset of the penicillin class, what drug would you give instead? So if you have a penicillin allergy, you'd give metronidazole instead. So remember the triple therapy, amoxicillin, clarithromycin, proton pump inhibitor. There's a good mnemonic from first aid. It's antibiotics, cure, pylori. If you look at the first letter from each of those words, antibiotics starts with an A, that's amoxicillin. Cure starts with a C, that's clarithromycin. And pylori starts with a P, that's proton pump inhibitor. And then if you have a penicillin allergy, you give metronidazole. Now, If you are concerned about macrolide resistance, remember clarithromycin is a macrolide, there's a lower yield but still tested quadruple therapy that you can give to patients. Um, Do you know what's in that quadruple therapy? So the quadruple therapy usually includes a tetracycline, a proton pump inhibitor, bismuth-based treatment, metronidazole and i would say that the high yield there is that you can't have a macrolide because you're concerned about macrolide resistance and the differentiating factor is that there's a bismuth based therapy in the quadruple therapy all right what part of the stomach does h pylori first infect so it first infects the antrum and what other cancer can h pylori cause Remember, we already uh, just talked about how H. pylori can lead to gastric adenocarcinoma, but what other cancer can it cause? So it can lead to a MALT lymphoma, and MALT actually stands for a mucosal associated lymphoid tissue, and it's a subset of what type of cancer? Do you know what, what subset of what type of cancer a MALT lymphoma is? So it's a type of marginal zone lymphoma, which is a form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, the most common type of gastric cancer is indeed adenocarcinoma, which we said H. pylori can cause, but within adenocarcinoma, there's really two main types that you could see in the stomach. Do you know what those two main types are? that would be intestinal and diffuse and there's a couple of high yields uh, for each of them that I want to go over because they do get tested so uh, what are the risk factors for the intestinal type of adenocarcinoma and I'd say that there's three main buckets here so broad strokes the risk factors would be intestinal metaplasia nitrosamines and blood type A But let's just kind of look at each of those three and kind of just go into them in a little more detail so intestinal metaplasia why does this happen basically you get sustained mucosal inflammation and that could lead to the metaplasia which again leads to the dysplasia which again leads to the neoplasia and that's like the classic order that you have to remember these things from a pathology perspective and the intestinal metaplasia can be caused by two things one of them is h pylori which we just kind of went over and do you know what the other one is So the other one would be autoimmune destruction, and autoimmune destruction occurs from pernicious anemia. And at this point, I would would really recommend checking out our anemia series in the past, because we had a bunch of questions on pernicious anemia and what the high yields are that could show up on questions. All right, so risk factors for the intestinal type of gastric adenocarcinoma. The first one was intestinal metaplasia caused by two things, H. pylori or pernicious anemia. The second one is nitrosamines. Now, what type of food can you find nitrosamines in classically? So classically you find these in smoked foods. Now what demographic should you look for in a question stem that would be exposed to nitrosamines? So typically the demographic would be someone of Japanese descent. And the last one was blood type A. And the way I remember this is actually something I learned from Pathoma. Sometimes a shorthand that you see for cancer in a patient's chart is just the word CA or the the acronym CA and whenever I see the letter A I just think of blood type A all right now we went went over the intestinal type let's look at the diffuse type the diffuse type is characterized by what type of cell on histology so it's characterized by a signet ring cell and I would really look up a picture of a signet ring like what an actual signet ring is and then also a signet ring cell because this is a high yield picture that can show up but in short Uh, you have some sort of problem um, from a a cellular perspective in the cell and it leads to so much mucus being produced in the cytoplasm and all that mucus pushes the nucleus to the periphery and then so basically what you have is a cell that's filled with mucus and the nucleus is in the peripheral aspect and that's what makes the classic signet ring appearance Um, so the first aspect of the diffuse type is classically it has signet ring cells on histology now there's also a characteristic finding on gross pathology of the stomach do you know what that is? So that would be something called Litanus Plastica, Litanus Plastica. And this is diffuse thickening of the stomach wall. And again, there's a really good picture of this in the Pathoma textbook. But if you don't have that, I will just recommend looking it up on Google Images because it's one of those classic pictures of a gross histology that can come up on the exam. Um, okay, now where can the diffuse type of gastric carcinoma characteristically metastasize to? There's kind of one location that the diffuse type can go to. So that would be the bilateral ovaries. And when it goes to the bilateral ovaries, what's the name of that tumor? So that's called a kruckenberg tumor spelt with a k and you know a way that i kind of remember this is um i would look up a picture of a type of alcohol called kraken rum and i whenever i think of the word kraken i think of the kruckenberg tumor and the way that this bottle is designed is it has two circular handles extending from the left and right of the spout and when i think of those circular handles i think of ovaries so basically i could relate kraken rum to a kruckenberg tumor um, and remember, the Krukenberg tumor is the metastasis to the bilateral ovaries of the diffuse type of gastric carcinoma. All right, finally, gastric cancers can spread in general to three other high yield locations. Now, the first location is called the Virchow node. Where is the Virchow node? So the Virchow node is the left supraclavicular node and in a question stem basically a patient would be shrugging their shoulders and when you shrug your shoulders you can feel the supraclavicular nodes uh, well and it'd be basically a nodule on the left supraclavicular node. Now there's two other places that they could spread to, do you know what those are? So the first place is the subcutaneous uh, spread to the periumbilical area and do you know what those are called when it has a subcutaneous spread to the peri area? So those are called Sister Mary Joseph nodules. And the second one um, is spread to the recto-uterine pouch. Do you know what another name for the recto-uterine pouch is? So the recto-uterine pouch is sometimes referred to as the Pouch of Douglas. And when it spreads to the Pouch of Douglas, do you know what that finding is called? That one's called the bloomer shelf. And on an exam, uh, what I would look for is that, you know, the patient gets a physical exam. and There's a palpable mass on a digital rectal exam. That would be the high yield point for there. Okay, so basically, in summary for the gastric cancers, remember, there's two types. And um, of the classic types, uh, you could spread to these very classic characteristic locations. And one of them would be the bilateral ovaries. That's called the Krukenberg tumor. And the three other ones would be the Virchow node, left supraclavicular node. Uh, there's also the Sister Mary Joseph nodules, that would be subcutaneous spread to the periumbilical area. And the last one would be the bloomer shelf, that's spread to the recto-uterine pouch, also known as the pouch of Douglas. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, we still have more oncogenic microbes to go over, so be on the lookout for the next part of this series. Thank you.